She is a Haunting is an engrossing coming-of-age novel from Train Tan Tran. While visiting her estranged father in Vietnam as a guise to reconnect, Jade Wynn's main objective is to get the money needed for her to attend college in the fall. Her father has enlisted her help to build a website for a potential bed and breakfast as he renovates a French colonial house. However, the house has other ideas and will do everything in its power to keep Jade and her family from leaving. We speak to Tran about the dream that inspired this novel and creating a character that lives on the tightrope of duality while holding the secret of their sexuality and struggling with their cultural identity. Stay with us for another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses Podcast. Are you currently looking for a bookstore that has a great selection of books? Well, Kizzy's Books and More is that bookstore. Visit www.kizzy'sbooksandmore.com to purchase your next book for our book club. Use coupon code VULGARGENIUS to receive 10% off the subtotal of your first order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Vulgar Geniuses podcast. We are your hosts. My name is Denny. And I am Veronica. And today we are joined by our, this is our anniversary month pick this is a very special <laughs> pick um we are we've turned three yes we we have we have turned three years old we got out of those terrible twos and now we're in um these wonderful threes and we are so excited to have our special guest with us today we have none other than train ton tran um they write speculative stories with big emotions about food belonging and the vietnamese diaspora they grew up in a big family in philadelphia then abandoned degrees in sociology and public health to tell stories in Georgia. When not writing, they can be found over-caffeinating on iced coffee and watching zombie movies. She is a haunting is their debut novel and now a New York Times best-selling book. Yeah. And you can connect with Trang with them on Twitter at NVTran or their website www.trangthentran.com. Trang, welcome to the show. Hello, hello. How are hello. thou? Thank you for having me. Uh, it is a, a pleasure and a treat. Um, your book, it, it was very gripping when we first saw it when we first just saw what the synopsis of the story yes. was going to be about. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're like, yeah, we're going to have to read this. We got to do this for our anniversary month. I think it was meant for us to read. For and- me to be scared <laughs> as, as per usual. <laughs> and Every month is good for a scare. Every yes. month. <laughs> I, I, I guess so. <laughs> I'm quaking inside. <laughs> And uh, it's always a treat for us to be able to dive into the world of all things spooky and it doesn't have to be Halloween to do so. So we want to thank you for writing this beautiful, this beautiful book. But before we get into all of the questioning uh, and introspection, uh, we like to put you in the hot seat for a real 
for a few minutes not not too long yes Um. (laughs) so like as an avid iced coffee drinker how do you like your iced coffee because it's it's life okay i love love (laughs) because we like our coffee iced that ice is a luxury It, it screams luxury every morning you're treating yourself every morning I like making my iced coffee with like a Bialetti in the morning. So it like makes like a sort of almost as strong as an espresso, but it's not quite an espresso. And then I pour it over ice and then I add a little bit of oat milk, some sugar sometimes, but not always. And then I enjoy it just like that. My peoples. Yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm talking about. Because everybody, you know, because I'm Asian, everybody looks at me that I have like I have three heads every time I put... I, I every time I drink something cold in the morning or cold period, they're like, "Why your your body's gonna not accept it?" I'm like your body's strong, your body can go through a yes. little bit of ice cube. That's what I said, but <laughs> I guess you know centuries of like old people thinking be like, eh, "That's not good." But anyway. yeah, my mom's the same way. My mom's the same way. Drink some hot tea in the morning or just some hot water uh no (laughs) maybe someday but not today um so she's a haunting has a playlist what is the most memorable song in there for you oh that's hard okay I think I have to choose the um one of the instrumental songs from the haunting of hill house soundtrack from the netflix show and that's I want to wake up so badly just because it just fits in with the book so much and then it just draws a lot of like visuals from like the show even though they're not completely unrelated but sort of like the same vibes same creepy vibes so there's a lot of food in this book um what is the what is the one food that you crave almost on the daily oh my goodness this is so hard on the daily Mm -hmm. I would have to say it's boom reel it's 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 in one of the chapters i think it's in one of the worst chapters um but it's like that that um like red broth with like the seafood and like the ground up like shrimp and crab balls and it's just like so good it's so satisfying and has like the pig's blood in it it's it's delicious my mom makes it like perfect Is that your to go to dish when you visit your mom? You're like, I gotta have this. Will you please make this one? She is so sweet. She will like call me up. She's like, What's the menu for the weekend that you're gonna be here? Like, <laughs> oh. like, what do you want me to make? And she'll make like she'll make everything. Like, these are special dishes. These are not like everyday Vietnamese food dishes, but she'll make it like the entire weekend that I'm there. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah. That's love right there. Right. And you know, because I'm Filipino. Um, I have a confession. You said pig's blood. There's this Filipino dish. It's called dinuguan, where there's also blood, but I don't partake in it. My husband loves it, though. So, you know, but I'm just like, everybody loves the iteration of blood in their food. But Yeah, maybe you just haven't, maybe you just haven't found the food that you enjoy with blood in it. Maybe we'll, <laughs> we'll get back to that in 2024, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Um, has your family reacted to this process of you being like a published author? It's been kind of wild. Um, they all came to my, like my immediate family all came to my book launch. My mom's finally proud of me. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, I'm joking a little bit, but it was very sweet. You know, she was like afterwards, after the book launch, she was like, now I have someone to brag about. And it, it was very, <laughs> it was very nice. Um, and I, no one in my family is an author or do any type of like artsy type of career. So it's like very different for them. Um, but yeah, I think they're, they're a little surprised that, you know, that it's sort of taken off in a way, but they're really happy seeing me happy. Like my mom told me that she's never seen me so happy, like when I'm on like stage or, you know, talking with another author. So. Oh, I know it's, it's, if the arts are kind of a very abstract thing for Asian, Asian folks. Um, Mm -hmm. So, you know, we're, we're trying to, we're trying to break the generational curse. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when I was 18, that's what my mom told me. She was like, you cannot be a, cause I told her I wanted to be a writer. And she's like, you can't be a writer. Like you can't, you won't be able to feed yourself. And like, I totally get it. Totally agree with her. You can't create art if you're hungry and you don't have a house, you don't have all these things, right. You need that stability in life to kind of, at least for me to have the brain power to create. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, eventually it's just like, once I got to a place where I could, you know, write, that's what I really wanted to do. Mm. favorite snacks what when writing oh chocolate mm, yeah a specific brand i, I guess dark chocolate please say dark chocolate dark, it is dark chocolate yeah <laughs> any bar of dark chocolate is so good it's good for your brain <laughs> <laughs> see there's science behind it who was the first person you told the news to, um that you were on the new york times best-selling list I told my partner, he, he was just leaving the house, going to work. And I was like, I called him. I was like, I hit the glass. <laughs> and then I called my mom like 30 minutes later. So I guess I should tell her. <laughs> she, she, was like, she was like, what list? Uh-huh. You don't understand what list this is. Oblivious. Oblivious. Like, all right, bye. <laughs> <laughs> So being an immigrant is already hard, but being an immigrant teenager that is also worried about college and also like, you know, and now ghosts is a very (laughs) unique kind of story. Tell Mm -hmm. us how this brilliant idea came about and like how now it's like a book of yours, a little baby book. Yeah. Um, 2020, stuck inside my house, like everybody. And I was just, and it was, it was almost October. And I was just thinking about, you know, I need a change. And I was like, I'm going to write a horror book. I've always been a horror movie fan. That's how I got started on horror. Um, and I just worked off of the question, like, what are you most afraid of? Right. And, you know, the things at the time that I was most concerned about was, you know, you know, telling my family certain things, having difficult conversations with my family about, you know, sexuality or about going back to Vietnam when I feel like I don't fit in. And that's kind of like where the emotional core of the story came from. And then the haunted house piece just came from one being stuck inside my house, (laughs) just thinking about all the houses. I mean, we spend so much time in our houses and it's like all the things that a house must witness, Mm. all the embarrassing things, (laughs) the terrible things. Just imagine if it actually holds that type of memory, right? And so I wanted to write a haunted house story and it just made sense for um, like a teenager, you know, teenagers are often stuck in a house because of, you know, their parents, their guardians. So it made sense. It's just like this teenager who does not want to be there 
and is now forced to be inside this house. But it's like, you know, do you tell the truth to your mom and like get your ass out of there? Or do you like just simmer because you you just can't have these difficult conversations? It's like, oh, I guess I'm avoiding my emotions. I'm just going to deal with the ghosts instead. Oh, my God. Sometimes it's better that way. (laughs) (laughs) We we saw it play out, though. (laughs) So for those who have not had a chance to read this book, would you give us like a quick synopsis of of this story? Sure. Um, Chaotic version sort of is an angry but closeted queer teen fights a hungry house in Vietnam that just wants friends in eternal servitude. And find out what happens when the ha- when the one place where you might belong is actually haunted and she is a haunting. <laughs> there, you there you go. Now, you know, one thing is with us is that we're always curious about like the why for those who moved away from one career and find themselves into into mm-hmm. writing. And uh, so I was just curious, what was your trajectory into storytelling when your starting point was your career as a data analyst? And why mm-hmm. did you begin with this particular story of She is mm-hmm. a Haunting? Um, so let's see. I I, mean, I I always wanted to be a writer. My mom said I couldn't. So that's why I kind of pursued other things. And eventually I got into um, public health. So um, working as a data analyst at the New York City Department of Health. I started in, I think it was 2014, 2015. So I did that for six or seven years. But I was always like writing sort of like fun stuff on the side, just for me. like nothing nothing serious. Um, but I had this, um, so I'm a cancer survivor. I had cancer when I was 22. So that was one of the biggest reasons why I was like, I need a job with health insurance because it's terrible in the U S. Um, and that's part of why I was so motivated to get a good job, to get a stable job. And I, I love data analysis. It's a different part of my brain. It uses a different type of creativity. Um, so I did that for um, a number of years, but I had this moment. It was in 2017, um, my oldest brother died from cancer and, um, I was sitting in Bryant park a few months after, and it was like, strangely beautiful for New York city. It wasn't smelly. It was, you know, one of those moments. And I was like, oh my gosh, what am I doing with my life? Um, and I've had conversations with my brother before he passed away about what he wanted me to do for my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was faced with this question where it's like, can I really do that? You know, like, because it was, it was sort of that added layer of like, now I'm responsible for the stability of everybody in my family. But I was just having this moment, like, you know, what am I doing with my life? Like my brother worked so hard his entire life. um, And this is kind of what happened to him. And what do I want to say at the end of my life that I did? Right. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was like, I have to start writing again. And I have to start trying to write again. Um, I said that in 2017, but I really didn't start like writing, like I started writing a different story. Um, It was sort of a dark fantasy story, I think in 2018. Um, But it wasn't until 2020 that I started writing She's a Haunting because that book wasn't working out. Um, I gave myself a chance. So in 2020, I had money saved up. I had health insurance through my partner and I was like, I'm going to take a year off and I'm going to do my very best and see what happens. And it worked. And the reason I wrote the story is because um, I read Emily X. R. Pan's The Astonishing Color of After. It's a beautiful book about this biracial Taiwanese American teenager who goes back after 
to, to Taiwan after her mother dies and, you know, finds and connects, reconnects with her heritage and her family. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first time I read a book where I was like, wow, like I really relate to this character and like just the different things that she's going through. And it's just a beautifully written book. And I was like, I had, I had never written a Vietnamese protagonist at that point. All my characters were, you know, white or, you know, and it was when I was like, light bulb moment, I have to write something like really close to me, right? And that's kind of when I made the decision, like, I want to write something that really matters to me personally with a character that I can see parts of myself in, um, even if it's not, it's not an autobiography, but it's like inspired, you know? That's such a, uh, a interesting um, fact that you just gave us because we, I can't remember who it was that we spoke with, but they said something along the same lines of like, realizing oh I can write myself into the story Mm -hmm. and you know like there is something about the realization that light bulb moment that goes off where you're saying to yourself like oh I have a story to share Mm -hmm. you know I have all of this life that I've you know lived so far and all of these cultural things that I, I have adopted as my own and have mm-hmm. been given from you know my parents and things like that. And so when you're when you're thinking about all of those things and you're putting it into into the book, do you find that it's still even that I'm sure you're probably working on another project or just anything. Do you, do you still find it like amazing like I can tell this story with with me and all of these mm-hmm. parts reflected back at me? Yeah, yeah, um especially when I can write about all the sort of like the intricacies of like a Vietnamese American family, an example of one, you know, just how they relate to one another, just how they talk to one another, just those, the specific texture of a relationship that you wouldn't be able to see in, because every relationship is different. Every family is different. So it's nice being able to pull pieces from mine, just little details or just from things that I've observed um, through my life into these books. And I I love having I love having those things in a book where other people can pick up and kind of get to experience the these little magical moments of like this is what another type of life looks like. This is what their story looks like. Right. Cause like my sister is gonna be married mm-hmm. next month. And my soon-to-be brother-in-law is a Vietnamese. My mm-hmm. sister is an is a non-reader. She's mm-hmm. like, it's you, because I'm the eldest. It's me and the youngest that kind of loves this form mm-hmm. of art. She she finds other things. But when I told her about your story and she's like, Denny, this is the first time that you're gonna be reading a Vietnamese, like, you know, author. And I'm like, I didn't even realize that because you know, yeah, champion everybody, you know, mm-hmm. by POC in our platform. But then she made me realize, she's like, oh, you know, and and they wrote about something that you actually don't, you know, would pick up like a, on first glance because it's mm-hmm. about horror and stuff. You know, I love the sci-fi aspect, but she's like, mm-hmm. but you're a scaredy cat. And I'm like, <laughs> yes. And then but she, and she was like, well, if you would read this, I would read this, too. Cause, mm-hmm. you know, she was like, I'm very yeah. interested because I'm like, oh, the, you know, I would I would tell her, Diane, what does this mean? And she would be mm-hmm. like, oh, let me ask Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. 
I love that. Um, so the the haunted house concept is is used often when when whenever ghosts are normally in, involved in the storyline, like House on a Haunted Hill, The Conjuring, mm-hmm. and Smile. Have you seen Smile? I don't know. I have. Smile. I have. Ooh, that, that movie was wild. <laughs> yeah, um, some imagery. Oh, yes. <laughs> Um, so, you know, those are a few movies where the home is on like on a mission along with the ghost to consume those who are inside it. And you've taken this concept to break down the historical social ills as well as the personal secrets held by the ghosts and the people within. What was important to you when taking this house to show the struggles within the metaphorical house of Jade and her mm-hmm. relationships and her sexuality? Um, I think the most, the the thing that I, I really wanted to incorporate in the house is, um, that it has a sense of, it has a sense of memory on its own. This is a house that holds memory. And, and I wanted to also, um, be really respectful of the history because, you know, this house, Nyahua and the house is based in the book is based on the houses that are in Dilak. Um, so there are abandoned French colonial houses in Dilak. Um, and they're still there and they're not lived in. And I drew a lot of inspiration, like what must have happened there? And like, what happened in this specific area? Cause Dilak was, you know, a, a resort town for French officers because they wanted somewhere cooler because the weather was cooler. Um, and so I wanted the house in the book to have this sense of, um, it has survived mm-hmm. all of a hundred years. It has survived all these terrible things that happened. And now it's 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 chance to no longer be lonely, right? It was left behind by the people who built it. Um, and now it doesn't want to be lonely anymore. And I felt like that was a good um, connection to Jade because Jade also doesn't want to be lonely. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like how now you have these two characters um, who want similar things, but want them in different ways. And what do they do to kind of achieve that? Um, and at the same time, um, it was also a place for Jade to explore and to kind of figure out what happened with her family. She she really never gets the full answer, just like so many of us never have the full answers from our families, right? Um, but it's that that hunger to find out that kind of drives her and drives her dad, to be honest. How did Jade reveal herself to you in this story? Um, her voice was always very clear to me. I knew that um, she was an angry teenager because I was an angry teenager. Um, but I also wanted her to have sort of like this, I, I wanted her to be funny because um, I just felt like she was a complete person, right? Like she was going through some tough stuff, but she's also funny and she's charming. Even if on the surface, she's sort of like stone faced or like, you know, holding herself back and not so I wanted her interior world to feel really rich mm. and hilarious as she's like looking through and dealing with all these things. Also, speaking of Jade, I um, appreciate Florence being such a badass. Oh, yes. <laughs> and I'm just like, that is the person that, you know, as like remembering, like, you know, even up to now, I'm like, when I see a person, I'm like, man, what is it to live in that body or you know to to live that life but she presents herself that way but you know there's also a story behind mm-hmm. how they were made which is you know like most people are very realistic that it's not mm-hmm. always the outside so 
um I just wanted to tell that about Florence and how you know how I I loved her <laughs> yeah I love her too cool girl on the surface yeah you know some some rich stuff inside <laughs> yeah but but you know kind of like very soft in the inside but yeah. anyway go, going back to this uh rotting house um because, you know, for us, there was like these people, whether dead or alive, trying to hold on to these like glory days of this house. Mm -hmm. um, so we've sensed through Jade the need to kind of like move on, like and fight this ill thinking about ourselves and our culture. For us, was this a subtle way of like hinting the damage that maybe how colonialism you know, have hit people of color and maybe Jade is its example. Like, what if we tried to like free ourselves of this? This could this could be like, you know, like to me, she was such a beacon. Like mm -hmm. she was just always so, so like tough and like always wanted to fight this thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I wrote it purposely as, you know, like this is, she is ex escaping this history, right? I or escaping like the influence of um, colonialism. I think I was trying to write um, a very specific family story and how does this one girl survive this family basically and survive the situation that she was brought into. Um, and that's sort of like that glimmer of hope at the end, right? Where it's, you know, it's terrible things have happened to your family, terrible things have happened to you, but it can be okay and it will be okay. Um, and that's what I wanted for Jade, um, ultimately, is even if she doesn't escape all these things, mm -hmm. she walked away feeling, knowing that she's enough, even if, you know, before she had felt like she was an empty person or that she was never enough for her, her family or her friends. But now at the end of the story, she is, even if she's walking out of there with scars. Mm, yeah, that was that was some fight. I want to go and 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 talk more about the house. I I think for me that was probably one of the most appealing characters throughout the story. Mm -hmm. And so in in your novel, uh, Jay's father is restoring uh, this French style home that has been to be used as a bed and breakfast, and the investors have dedicated themselves to maintaining the French influence and history of this home without in regard to the damage. Uh, mm -hmm. caused by those living in Vietnam during their occupation. Uh, it, it leaves one to wrestle with this idea of how important it is to preserve places like these when marginalized people have been stripped of their own land and autonomy and so forth. What were your findings and your research that made you decide that not only would you use a house to be the main character of the story, but one of the main characters, but it would be this particular style of home with this legacy. Mm -hmm. um, so there are many areas in Vietnam where there's like a mix of like Vietnamese and French style homes. Um, I was particularly drawn to the Dilac area because, you know, it, it's in the mountains. It's sort of, I was interested by the specific history that was there where it was like, you know, in the early 1900s, they, went here with the purpose of making it into a resort town. And that's just, that's messed up. That's mm -hmm. so messed up. And so I wanted to tackle that in a way, like what does it look like now that these homes that were created for pleasure, for other people's enjoyment, um, the, the bad things that happened there, and now that they're just left behind, right? They're just left behind, they're rotting and 
no one's really doing anything with them right now, right? And I was drawn to that um, style of a home because um, I also am a fan of Gothic horror. Um, and I kind of wanted to reinterpret the house in a way where it's like, you know, a lot of times in Gothic horror, it's like, you know, this this mansion, this, this big mansion and some past event, ghosts or otherwise is haunting the protagonist. Well, this, I wanted the house literally to be a character that is like with the other characters inside of it. It's almost a consumption, right? Like it's, it's just um, oppressive in every way, um, this house and the way that the characters are forced to stay there, or at least Jade is forced to stay there by, you know, her father or some other um, outside entity. Yeah, it really made me think about not only the preservation of places like this, but in relation to, say, America and their love affair with plantation style homes. Yeah. Oh mm-hmm. Like, yes. if I get invited to another wedding where there is a plantation home, I'm going to yeah. flip. And I remember the very first time going to a wedding and us being there, and one of our friends is saying, you know, like, oh, you know that this house uh, was a plantation and, and the slaves, the enslaved people, uh, set it on fire they originally had burnt mm-hmm. part of the house down and it's said to be haunted and so people were so fascinated with that part of the story and I'm just thinking we having a wedding here like this <laughs> this is where we're doing it at <laughs> so reading this story yeah. in regards to you know the French coming in and wanting to make you know a vacation home uh mm-hmm. atmosphere for them in this in this other country it just and and then you know you're saying that those homes are are dilapidated and they're not no one's really living in those spaces but just to think mm-hmm. of how different mm-hmm. people view those type of buildings yeah. as like they're these most beautiful structures and not thinking about the history that is attached to it and the memory that goes mm-hmm. with it and who gets to say what memory mm-hmm. is the most important one and I really feel like yeah. you really touched on that throughout the book in regards to memory, not only just the house, but just mm-hmm. for Jade and her father and 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 just mm-hmm. going through the process of what drove someone to make a certain decision within the book. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and to your point, like like how people just view these places differently, the, the mm-hmm. viewpoints can be so drastically different. So these houses in Dialac. They are abandoned, but there are many other structures that are inspired by their French or built by their French that are still there and being used. And um, and there are a lot of there's a lot of like cultural mixing with like the different types of food. Like a lot of some Vietnamese food is also inspired from you know French style cooking or has from French elements. But it's it's yeah, some people I mean. We're gonna put the food aside because food can be delicious. But these yes. spaces, yes. these spaces mm-hmm. can be so polarizing, mm-hmm. so polarizing. Yeah, and I f- like I felt it, but also with the um, Jade's father and how he mm-hmm. just wanted to, you know, all like he wanted to reclaim what he felt was supposedly his in his mom's mom and everybody down the line. To almost like you know jade was like on the other side jade was also telling him like that it's okay whatever we have is like you know i felt mm-hmm. like she was trying to like maintain like almost the balance of mm-hmm. like how you know how immigrants sometimes would feel like 
you know, well, I don't belong in anywhere, mm-hmm. you know, like it's okay. But then you see that hunger from everybody. And then mm-hmm. this is Mike, like question, why bugs? <laughs> it went from her dad to why bugs because <laughs> then when there's something that happens in this story that like freaked me out a lot because I was just you know okay reading reading and then something comes out from somebody's eye you gotta read it to know but you know what I'm saying like why <laughs> I, mean, I mean first of all bugs are scary Yes. And two, I, I, okay, I have this morbid fascination with parasites because I'm terrified of them. And that's probably from watching too much Animal Planet Discovery Channel when I was a kid, but just fascinated by parasites of them living on you, living in you, in your food, always trying to get into your body. And I felt like it was a good way to also talk about, um, colonialism or very very selfish forces um basically feeding off of a country or feeding off of a family um and just sort of using that sort of uh metaphor almost it wasn't really intentional in the sense that like I was just fascinated by bugs and I like wrote them in and and then all of a sudden it was like wow this there's some deeper layers here that I didn't realize (laughs) Yeah, because everybody always give me crap when I talk about like how I hate butterflies. Like I'm terrified of they're like, bugs. They, they are, are bugs. They're <laughs> insects. It's like it's like the perfect like analogy for colonialism. Mm-hmm. They lure you in, but deep inside <laughs> they're insects. <laughs> See, that's that's the biggest takeaway. <laughs> So like you've mentioned before, family is the center of this book. You know, we follow Jade and her coming of age story, but it's it's the familiar relationships, you know, that we also see unfolding in this novel and something that a lot of like Asian kids, especially Asian families can relate to. How important was it to illustrate this very delicate dynamics? And were you kind of asking like your family, like any input on the book or was there like, you know. Mm-hmm. Was there any type of like, oh, you know, this is a delicate subject. Would I need to like ask people first mm-hmm. before like I yeah. print it out for yeah. the world to read? Um, yes and no. Um, the main part that I wanted to, I I really wanted to show all of the complicated nuances between um, members of a Vietnamese family where it's like one person came over from America I don't know, in the late 80s and someone else was born in the US. So and how do how do the how do their viewpoints differ because of this? And how where does it overlap? And I wanted to focus on the relationship between Jade and her dad, um, who on the surface, you know, have this very estranged and difficult relationship, but it's like, where are they similar and where are they kind of wanting the same things, right? And I wanted all of these characters in the family who feel as human as possible to really want things and to be doing things to get it or um, to have things that they can't say to one another and what kind of damage that does when you keep it to yourself. Um, The parts that, so all of that, I was like, all right, well, I'm going to write some emotional damage stuff and my mom can't tell me no. (laughs) So so I just did it. But when I told her about the book, you know, the one thing she warned me against was don't write about communism, Trang. 
that was what she was worried about. She was like, I don't want you to get detained at the airport. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you do go back, that was what, that was the first thing that she was really worried about when I told her I was writing about this family in Vietnam. Um, but for all the other stuff, the yes part um, comes when, um, when I'm trying to write, you know, sort of the more distant relationships, like mm-hmm. the viewpoints of like the grandparents or the viewpoints of like the greater, um, I guess, Vietnamese society, I asked, you know, my family, like, you know, how, you know, how did you feel about this? Or like, how did, how do your parents feel about this? Like, what's their viewpoint on like, for example, like um, interracial marriages between, you know, French officers and Vietnamese women, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, those things I, I did ask just to understand, you know, like what all the different feelings were, because I wanted to present my book in a really real way that that where it's like, you know, these are, you know, all the reactions make sense in the context of the story, basically. Did you, did you originally have anything in there about communism within the book? And then you're like, okay, let me take it out. Or was it never a part? Um, I mean, I told her pretty early on. So I, I did, I did write with that in mind where I was like, well, maybe I, you know, maybe I should be careful with what I write. Mm -hmm. Um, But more than that, you know, I I didn't feel like I was in a position to write about communism presently in, in Vietnam. I didn't feel like you know, it was something that I was well informed about and could write, right? My perspective there didn't feel well-rounded enough to write. So Jade's, so that's why Jade's focus really is like on her family, on history, um, on all the things that she's worried about now, not necessarily the you know, all the other things um, that doesn't immediately come to mind for her. Yeah, I I really, I'm I'm glad that she talked about, you know, going back to the relationship of Jade and his father and her father. I, you know, that was something that I, you know, I really felt. I, I don't mm-hmm. have that type of relationship with my dad, but I think a lot of kids, especially, you know, they can identify as like a, a guardian or a parent of having kind of like the same you know, dynamics and how you go about it. Because sometimes, you know, we can't ask the same adult, like, so how do I deal with you? You know, so I think it's very important for children to see that they're not going through the same life experiences just by themselves, that it's okay, like somebody has gone through it. And it's okay, you know, to maybe to feel that certain way. But you Mm -hmm. know, like maybe an explanation of what's going on with the other part was very helpful. And I know mm-hmm. it's like, you know, growing up Asian, that's something that was like wild to me. So when I first read it in a book and I'm like, oh, okay. So I, I don't have to be always angry. I don't have to always be like, you know, almost kind of like resentful towards mm-hmm. the people that I love. Because in my head before, I've always kind of like, why does the people that I love make it so hard for me to love them? Mm-hmm. And, you mm-hmm. know, like this kind of, this, your story kind of like explain like, you know, it's, you know, it's kind of like a different perspective, almost kind of like explaining to us, like, as, even as an adult or like, you know, mm-hmm. what happened before and like, maybe how those adults were like moving around you, maybe you didn't understand the full picture. So mm-hmm. it's okay. It's kind of like, almost like, you know, that little 360 healing process. Also, mm-hmm. maybe for other people that might read your book. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to let you know that it has happened. I I have a question in regards to, you know, I don't know who I heard it from. I'm sure it was probably some video I was watching on 
late at night on Instagram. I think it was probably like a therapist or something, but they Mm -hmm. were talking about the dynamics of being a parent and how you are a different parent at every single child that you have. And what we see within the book, I know we spent a lot of time talking about Jade and her father, but you have Jade's sister, Lil, who has a different relationship and she mm-hmm. sees her father mm-hmm. in a totally different perspective than say mm-hmm. Jade. Will you talk to us about uh, creating that that dynamic? And was that something that you also had in your mind of like how one child might be more affectionate and loving towards one parent where the other one might have a different stance altogether? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to show that two, two kids in the same house can have wildly different experiences with their parents and have a different viewpoint of their parents and how loved they are. Um, because parents are different, I think, with each kid in, in small and in big ways. Um, I come from a big family. I have three older brothers and one younger brother. And, you know, we're also separated by really big age gaps. My younger brother is like eight years younger. My you know, the oldest brother that's closest to my age is like seven years older. And we have very different experiences with our parents or our guardians and our other family members. Um, And sometimes I didn't really know what was going on in my siblings relationship with my mom, or with my other family members. And that's kind of where the inspiration came from, right? Um, Two siblings who have wildly different experiences with their dad, who are in this difficult situation together, but want completely different things right and yet um those two siblings are close they're close and they love each other so much so how how far are they willing to go to you know hurt each other or like not um not let the other get what they want in order for them to accomplish what they want with their parents basically i'm glad you wrote that into the book because so many times we see where you're having siblings they kind of all approach the 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 father and or mother in the same way like they all have this same general Mm -hmm. love and Mm -hmm. complaints and concerns about the parent but they don't ever um have that very perspective so Mm -hmm. I want to thank you for for adding that in there because it's like yeah you know some some children love one parent and then you'll have someone else I have a friend whose father um had passed away and he's having conversations with his sister and she'll say something he's like how do you not remember even mm-hmm. though they might be close in age you yeah. know he'll say he was xyz but it's kind of like well you know everyone has their own relationship to the person that you might have something different from so i want to thank you mm-hmm. for highlighting that within the book and also it it kind of made jade you know like her her wanting to kind of like get out of that you know situation made it even like um like heavier or like you know the Mm -hmm. responsibility made it heavier because now you know I gotta wake up Lily almost like you know she she Mm -hmm. has to see it so I think that Mm -hmm. that driving force because of that love for her sister she's like we Mm -hmm. all gotta get out we yeah. you know we, we gotta do this she's <laughs> like get out of what exactly like, <laughs> you know it, it kind of yeah. it kind of makes you feel more like suffocated like jade i'm like no yeah <laughs> it, it's yeah. very it, yeah so like we've talked about the sense of belongingness is very mm-hmm. palpable in this book we see you know jade struggling between not being you know vietnamese enough or not being asian oh american enough um how did 
you navigate um, creating Jade's character um, to best express, you know, what you want for the book and, Mm -hmm. you know, also allowing your readers to see or and to feel that it is really okay to be, you know, in this kind of two places at once body. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I, she really started from that seed of fear where that's, you know, that you, that I am not enough of this or that. Um, So that's where she started. But I also wanted, um, and I think I mentioned this before, to give her sort of this full, this very full character where like that's one part of her, but there's all these other pieces of her, like her love for her her little sister, her love for her mom, her, you know, her humor, all these things that make Jade Jade that is unrelated to being American or being Vietnamese. That's Mm -hmm. just solely her, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So that is just one piece of her. And um, I felt like her character was always very clear to me, you know, this angry, this angry teen, but someone who really cares. And that's why she's so angry. And I just wanted to continue treating her like someone who's on the cusp of adulthood and feeling like, you know, often we place all this, all of this pressure for 17 year olds, 18 year olds to have everything figured out. And I feel like it's it's unfair. They're so young, you know? Mm-hmm. And I felt that pressure when I was at that age too. Um, and so I wanted to just let her experience her anger, but at the same time, experience this whirlwind, like almost romance with this girl on a motorbike. Like all, like, you know, just all the big emotions of being a teenager and just living it fully. I wanted that. Um, and it just kind of naturally unfolded once I was like, it's, has to be scary but it also has to be fun (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. i'm just curious uh to know from all of the interviews and conversations that you've had about this book and interactions that you've had online is there anything that stands out for you in your book when you think about your book that you wish more people would ask you about um I think the biggest thing is the food and y'all knocked it out of the park. You've been asking me about food on and off. And people, you know, people, when they look at my book, they read my book, they love to talk about, you know, the colonialism, you know, the, you know, the ghosts and all those things are, are really fun to talk about. But let's talk about the food. Oh, we'll the love for the food. Yes. The terror <laughs> of the food, right? Just the, the layer, the, the way that families can use food as a weapon, mm. but also as a way to show love. Right. Because right. food is food is a language of its own in terms of expressing love, in terms of using it to manipulate other people. You know, oftentimes Jade's dad, that's how he gets them to spend time with him is mm-hmm. you got to come down to the table and eat. Right. And I felt like that was that was something that I really loved layering in the story. It's not how, how delicious food is, but also how food is used in families. Mm. Yeah, because that's that's very like because we felt we feel like that's where we gravitate towards to like immediately when I was mm-hmm. read your book I'm like I cannot read this book while I'm hungry because <laughs> I'm just gonna be like eating I'm gonna be eating a rock like I need to be full because <laughs> you know that's that's very quintessential like you know being in an Asian household like every like whatever 7 p.m everybody mm-hmm. has to sit down on the table and everybody has mm-hmm. to eat this meal that has been prepared for five hours like the moment <laughs> lunch is done like my mother-in-law would be cooking for dinner 
Like mm-hmm. it it doesn't stop. And you saw that yeah. passion in like Jade's dad. And I'm like, oh my God, it's kind of like this, you know, you kind of mm-hmm. live in a trance. Like mm-hmm. you are like bound to this like meal schedule mm-hmm. <laughs> and you cannot schedule anything because mm-hmm. of this meal schedule. And yeah. I love that you used it as almost kind of his weapon for mm-hmm. these two girls. And you're just like, oh my gosh, I never saw it that way, but maybe it really is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When approaching uh, the book from a craft standpoint, we see that you have this combination of prose and poetry uh, integrated throughout uh, the novel. Will you talk to us about this particular approach to help move the story along? Yeah, um, so I'm someone who just loves everything down to the sentence level. And it it can get really annoying when writing because it's like, sometimes you just got to get a person from point A to point B. It doesn't have to be beautiful, but I'm here sitting here like, what can she notice about the hallway? (laughs) (laughs) So it, it can be really annoying. But what poetry is really, really great at is just distilling an emotion to just one line, just a few lines where it's just like, it's not what it seems on the surface. You kind of have to read under a little bit sometimes, right? And I wanted there to be a little bit of, a little bit of that in the book, a little bit of poetry in the book, particularly, you know, when um, Jade is sort of almost having like an out-of-body experience or in her dream sequences, those things. And, um, and that's just how I like to write, you know, with a little bit of, I like the sentences to sing a little bit here and there. It can be really annoying, you know, when I got to move people from A to B and I have to learn to be better about that. But um, for this book, I feel like it really worked out because, you know, the house is unhinged. And what is more unhinged than poetry? So, you know, (laughs) so it's fun working those things in. (laughs) And it kind of like gave like the reader like what to expect. So I would I would rely on it and be like, oh, is this the part when it's going to happen now? You know, (laughs) like. Like my, I I would have to dial my fear down a little bit. I'm like, it's okay, mm-hmm. Daddy. It's just a book. You're gonna be all right. <laughs> There's nothing under your bed. <laughs> so I know that this is this is your your first book, your first baby that's out in the world. I was just curious to know how do you see the publishing industry evolving in terms of inclusivity and representation for non-binary and gender non-conforming writers. And what changes would you like to see that you probably hadn't seen in this process Mm -hmm. for you first go around? Mm -hmm. So um, my experience so far has been sort of a unicorn experience where, you know, my publisher really supported me. You know, they really backed this book up. They put it out there. Um, They respected my wishes around, you know, what I wanted for the cover, um, all those things. But what specifically... Um, I want from the industry as a whole for non-binary, genderqueer, and trans authors is that there are all these book bans that are happening across the country, all these challenges that are happening um, at libraries. Where are the publishers? Why is it individual authors who have to stand up and talk about it? Most of us do not have the money and the backing to do it, right? Like. Um, if you're going to put these books out, it has to be, uh, there has to be wide, widespread support 
for these authors in general. It's not just like, I'm going to publish your book. You're welcome. It has to be, mm. you have to be on the ground. Mm. You have to be fighting to keep these books in schools. And I find that to be very disheartening right now that there's all this stuff happening, happening, but I don't see any publishers even putting out a statement. Um, so my hope, so I know there are more and more stories that are being written by, you know, non-binary, gender, queer, and trans authors, but um, it's not going to happen if they don't fight for us to keep writing and keep having these books available, right? Because they're going to see the sales report and they're like, oh, well, no one's buying these books anymore. Well, maybe it's because they're not on bookshelves or they're not at libraries or not in schools. Um, so that is the change that I am really wanting to see quickly from the publishing industry is that, you know, more than just publishing books, it's where are you when these movements are happening across the country on the ground. That's such a a, a valid point to illuminate because that's not a perspective that I even thought about in terms of, because we are, we are based in Florida. Mm -hmm. So we are yeah. dead in yeah. the middle mm -hmm. of all of this, uh, the, the fight in order to keep books on the shelves. And it is so sad to see what is taking place on you know just the ground level here but not mm -hmm. even thinking about what it is for the people at the top who are the ones who are saying yes to books being printed and putting it out into the world of where their mm -hmm. place is so thank you for saying that so we have come to the part of our conversation that I, I absolutely love the most when we speak to our writers we want to know you can give you two choices we want to know either your top five favorite books of all time or the top five books that you are most excited about and considering the content of your book, you can mix it up with uh, movies that you're excited about or music that you're excited about. You can give us a, a mixture, but we just mm -hmm. want to know your, your top five. Oh my God. Right now I'm like, have I ever read a book? I don't know if I've ever read a book. I, like, my, my brain is just blank. Have I seen a movie? I don't know. <laughs> well, maybe I'll give you a mix of like things I'm excited for and some of my favorite books. Um, one of my favorite books I've mentioned before is Emily XR Pan, The Astonishing Color of After. Amazing. Um, another book is um, A Certain Hunger by Chelsea, Chelsea Summers. And that book's amazing. It's a food critic who is a cannibal who eats men. Oh, so so good voice, okay. so good. <laughs> D different, but yeah, I read it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Um, and I loved uh, the Hacienda, which came out last year. And some some things I'm looking forward to. Um, Into the Light by Marcus Shiro. It's a thriller book. Um, it's coming out next month. I started it. The voice is amazing. Also a very angry queer teen. It's, it's, I can't wait to finish. Um, and I'm also excited for um, Isabel Tanya's second book, The Vampires of El Norte. You know, I'm expecting some, some vampires and some hot people because, you know, it seems to be her brand. So. <laughs> what are your dreams like? Are they like this book or are they, you know, very just, you know, regular, regular, I woke up naked um, at work <laughs> dream. <laughs> uh, so I, I actually have very vivid dreams. Um, and a lot of the dreams that Jade experiences in the book um, were inspired from some of my own. 
Um, so the first fridge, the fridge scene, which I won't say anything else about, that I that was from one of my dreams, and that's how I, <laughs> I um, oh, I could only imagine. Oh, yeah, that would be like ah. Uh. I don't like we I don't I don't mess with the supernatural I have very great respect for the supernatural (laughs) you know whether you believe it or not I was just Mm -hmm. like raised that way like we Mm -hmm. it's it's something that I you know I like to read more than I like to watch um Mm -hmm. but you know this book made me made me remember one of these we call it we really called it the haunted house it's like mm-hmm. literally like maybe right a little bit from my grandparents house like two houses away from my grandparents house and mm-hmm. nobody knows if who lives there what happens there like if I tell my sister you remember the haunted house they'd be like yeah I remember that <laughs> to me like this book like rekindled that like childhood memory of mine and up to now like I asked my parents, I've asked my grandparents, nobody knows what have happened there. Cause that was a, a Japanese, um, a Japanese house. Cause I was in, mm-hmm. you know, I was born in the Philippines. It was their kind of like fort during the Japanese occupation during World mm-hmm. War II. So it's kind of like this house. So I'm just like, there you go, part yeah. two of yeah. Shiro's Holiday, right? <laughs> we gotta write it together. Your journey back to, this house. to the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> well, Trank, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Um, it has been a, a pleasure to speak with you about your book. Congratulations on everything for it. Yeah. You know, it's on its second week on this list. And <laughs> That means that there are a lot of people who have their hands on this book and we are hoping that they're devouring this book and passing it on to other people to uh, to read. And we are so grateful to have had you on our show to, to celebrate us turning yes. three with this beautiful book. So thank you so much uh, for joining us. We hope that you have a wonderful night. Yes. Thank you. And happy you- anniversary, third anniversary. Yes. <laughs> and you know, I, I think what moved me from your post when you said, you know, you didn't have to write under a pen name, like your name is on the list for everybody to see, you know, that like it like it still kind of makes me like tear up because that's that's powerful. Like a name is powerful and it shows like mm-hmm. all the people that was before you or that, you know, the person that gave you that name. It's it's so nice, you know, yeah. like come I think we're, we're coming off a high from like everywhere everything all at once and then mm-hmm. now to hear you know your book too in the list it's just kind of like chef's kiss so mm-hmm. we've enjoyed our time I hope you did too and thank you very much for coming here and writing this book we hope you enjoyed our show our show has been produced and edited by Preston Long make sure to like comment and subscribe to our podcast our theme song you've been nodding your head to is by Sean Kantrowitz. You can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Sean Dammit. That's S-E-A-N-D-A-M-M-I-T. Follow us on Instagram at The Vulgar Geniuses. Bye!